Rachel, my wife, her grandfather's name, very good name, William, his surname, his surname was Lily, was Methodist minister. But he was also a Methodist missionary. So when he was a young man, and he signed up to be part of the Methodist World Missions. And so what he did is he signed up and he said, send me where you want to send me. And so initially they were going to send him to Durban. Durban is in South Africa. I grew up in a city called Port Elizabeth in South Africa. Durban's the next city up the coast as you go eastwards. I imagine that was the Lord getting things in motion so Rachel and I could eventually meet, but the Methodists messed everything up. And before they sent him to Durban, they changed their mind and they sent him to southeast India. And so my grandfather-in-law, who I had the pleasure of knowing for a couple of years before he passed, got on the boat, because that's what they did in those days. It was back in the Second World War days, so we're talking ages ago now. Got on the boat, went all the way around Africa, and headed up into southeast India, where they speak the language Tamil. So he learned how to be really fluent in Tamil, and he was a missionary there for 19 years. And he used to ride around on a bicycle and go from village to village, uh, sharing the gospel with people. Sometimes they would chase him out of town. He got stoned a couple of times, like not stoned as in what's happening in colleges all over America, but actually people chasing him down the road, throwing rocks at him, trying to stone him to death. So he had all these weird and wonderful experiences. One of his experiences was around about the time that India became independent uh, from, the, from, uh, from Britain and was around about the time when Gandhi was in charge and Gandhi got assassinated. And there was a huge outpouring of mourning all over India. And they had this massive meeting where he was. And at this point, there was a lot of anti-white sentiment, anti-British sentiment going around in India, as you'd expect. And somebody who was organizing the memorial asked Grandfather William to speak at the memorial. So he gets up to speak at this memorial. And as soon as he got up, all the people there started to get up and leave. They were disgusted to see this guy talking. But then he began to speak, and he spoke fluent Tamil. And as soon as he began to speak, everybody stopped, turned around, and went back to their seats. Because they went, anybody who's taken the effort to learn our language must be okay. And then everything went well from there. Then after that, after he did his 19 years, he returned to uh, the UK with my mother-in-law and uh, my aunt-in-law, and they went to high school and did all that kind of stuff. And um, he became a Methodist minister, worked around all over the place. Eventually retired to a place called Ripon, really cute place up in Yorkshire, northeast England. And we used to go visit him there. Um, he was famous because he could make a curry out of anything. And that made him a great man in my eyes because I like curry. Uh, you just go to the cupboard and make a curry out of stuff. Really weird. And it always tasted good. But even though he was retired, he retired, as they did, around about 65, he kept working. He, right up until he was into his 80s. And what he did is he was one of the main contributors to the Tamil version of the Bible, the Tamil translation. And then towards the end of his life, he was actually working on the Braille version. So he was putting it into Braille so that blind people who spoke Tamil could read the Bible as well. And as well as that, he would lead small groups and do Bible studies and stuff like that. And we always talked about him and wondered how he would eventually go and meet the Lord and uh, I think for someone who's done ministry all their life and, and loves the Lord and loves, loves to lead other people, the way he passed was that he was doing a Bible study at the Methodist Church one night, and he'd done a Bible study. Of, I can't remember what the subject was, but it was quite a poignant subject. And then just afterwards, he just, he just felt r quite tired and, and just sat down, and, and he passed away. He died right there after doing that. And he'd had a long, 
and fruitful life. He was a good man. He was a great man. And he had just stayed the course. He had endured hardship. He had endured difficulty. He had a few challenges in his life that I haven't gone into. But he'd really always consistently carried on following Jesus. And he's an inspiration to me and uh, someone I look up to. Longevity. It's really important. It's really important for us to learn to last a long time in our faith. We're not just here for a moment in time. We want to practice our faith. You want to learn to get into a habit of faith, a habit of prayer, a habit of thinking, so that when you're 82, you still follow Jesus. That when you've gone through all the difficulties and the challenges and the heartache and the bitternesses and the, you know, somebody over there on that side of the room hurt your feelings and you took three years to forgive them and all that kind of stuff, you still want to be someone that loves Jesus when you do your last Bible study. Do you know what I mean? And that is what we're going to talk about today. So pray with me quickly, and we'll get into our reading in Joshua chapter 14. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you love us and that your heart is to get us to the end. That your heart is for us to finish well. And so Lord, as we begin to consider this subject morning, would you place in each one of us a, a burning desire, Lord, to finish well to follow you consistently, to make it to the end, still having eyes for you, still being delighted that you have called us to be a part of your family. I pray you guide my words this morning, Lord, let them be from you, and let anything not of you be forgotten. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I can't tell you how happy I am to have my voice back. If, you've, if you're a guest with us today, I've like not had my voice for like three months. I've been sounding rather raspy up here, and I'm just, I'm just going to go on for hours and hours today. No, I'm not. I'm not. You're going to be out of here by 12. I'm not going to promise, but you'll be out of here by 12. So read with me from Joshua 14, verse 6, if you have a Bible. Otherwise, it's going to be up here behind me on the screen. And it says this. Now, the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, I think I'm saying that right, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a, a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as, um, as the day Moses sent me out. Hey, wouldn't you like that in your 80s? I'm just as vigorous to go out and battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country what, that the Lord has promised me that day. You yourself heard then that, that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, 
and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba after Arba, who was the greatest man among, among the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. So the Anakites, if you don't know anything about them, they're supposed to be the famed big people of the land. They're super, super scary. You know, some, some people think maybe Goliath was descended from them in some way. And so uh, they were supposed to be the toughest part of the land, you know, and that's the bit that Caleb wanted. And he felt like he had what it took to take it. So there's a few points I want to take out from Caleb's life and from this passage and his connection with the Israelites. And the first is this. Many start well, but not all finish well. Okay, it's a sad reality that you probably see around you all the time. Of all the people who saw the plagues in Egypt, who walked through the sea, who started the journey with Moses to go to the promised land, who were led by the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, who watched God defeat the Egyptians who were the superpower of the day like the USA would be today. Of all those people, only two made it. Only two made it into the promised land. That is a tragedy because that group of people saw amazing things. They saw a mountain on fire. Right? A mountain on fire that didn't burn up. Extraordinary stuff. They saw the living God and were terrified of him, but they still did not make it. If you're familiar with the story, what happened is this. As the people went on with this journey, but as they went on the journey, they consistently chose to focus on what was difficult. And they didn't have faith in the Lord. They just, they would look at the challenges ahead of them every time and just think, oh, this is insurmountable. We cannot do this. We cannot deal with this. And so when they got to the land and they heard the report of the spies that they sent in there, and the spies went, there were 12 of them, they all came back and went, oh, the people are giants. The land's amazing. They're going to massacre us all. We're all going to die. Doom, 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 gloom, 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 death, death, death. And then Joshua and Caleb like, we got this, guys. You know, God brought us out of Egypt. We can take these guys. No bother. The people decided to side with the other 10. Everybody freaked out. And God is like, I'm not sending you into the land if you're not going to trust me. So you're all going to stay in this desert until I'm done with you. And then you're all going to pass away. And then the next generation is going to get the land. And the only two people that outlived everybody was Joshua and Caleb. The same can be said for followers of Jesus today, don't we? Do you know of someone who started the journey of faith with you, started to walk with the Lord with you, but ended up falling away for whatever reason? You know, you may not want to hear this, but people like me, pastors of churches, we're not immune to that problem. You know, uh, many people who do the job I do sometimes fall away as they get later on in life because they burn themselves out. They they make the wrong decisions. They focus on the wrong things. Um, they make faith about, I don't know, controlling people. And then just as you can, only con you can only do that for a short period of time before you eventually burn out. Why does that happen? Why do people fall away? Why do people lose faith in God? And what's, what was going on with the Israelites? 
But I think one of the things we have to be aware of is we often take our eyes off the prize. We forget who God is, and often we settle for second best. And when we do that, we lose out. Say in the wilderness, the Israelites chose to forget what God had done in Egypt. You know, it was like, just imagine the USA, the power that is today, was that big, bad superpower, and there was a, a whole group of people that were enslaved in this country. I know that would never happen, right? If you know history, you know I'm being facetious, right? And I just imagine the Lord had showed up and, and basically defeated the entire nation, the whole military, right? And then taken that group of people down and walked them through Central America and said, I'm going to give you Peru, right? And just trust me. Now, Peru's a great country, probably have a very good military, but we all know that the USA's military is way bigger, way more, way more intimidating than Peru's. Now, just imagine that group of people defeated the USA and went down to Peru and then freaked out, right? That's pretty much what this group of people did. Why? Because they forgot what God had done before. And we often do that as well. We forget what God has done before in our lives. So even though they'd seen this incredible power of the Lord in their deliverance, they chose not to focus on that. Rather, they focused on the people in front of them. They focused on the strength of the people in front of them, whatever that was at that time, big people, organized cities, and so on. And they just almost instantly forgot all that God had done for them. They also chose not to be inspired. Because, you know, to make it to the end, you have to be a little bit inspired. You have to have a little bit of vision. You kind of have to know where you're going, you know. You kind of have to know how this all works out, and you have to kind of want that at the end. And the Israelites just didn't have any vision. They, they saw the promised land. They knew it was there. They sent 12 spies into it, but nobody else had seen it. And so... They chose not to be inspired by it. They, they, they considered and they thought, you know what, the wilderness is probably a better option for us. They settled for the lesser option of staying in the wilderness rather than keeping their eyes set on the prize, a land flowing with milk and honey. And you know, we do similar things like that today all the time. I do it all the time. I don't know if you do. But we take our eyes off the greatness of God and we allow ourselves to be intimidated by the situations and the strength of the world that is against the Lord and His ways that we may find ourselves in. You might be in a hostile environment at school or college or work. I remember when I was doing my first college degree, I was the only Christian in the whole department. The only one. There was another girl there who went to church and she was kind of nominal and, you know, Still, still pressing into the Lord, but, you know, she kind of just did what everybody else did, you know. And so when we used to go out all together, because this is people I hung out with, and they go party hard and all that stuff, and I would be doing what Christians do. I'd only have maybe one drink or two drinks, and then I'd hit my Coca-Colas and all that kind of stuff. And everybody's like, who is this weirdo hanging around with us? And when people were hooking up, and I didn't do the hooking up thing, they're like, what is wrong with you, you know? And so it took a long time to build a relationship and for them to begin to understand what I was about. But even then, they all thought I was crazy, you know? A kind of difficult environment to be. You might be working in an environment like that. And it's intimidating to try and live out your faith in that in environment. And sometimes it gets that intimidating that you just don't trust God to carry you through that. And you think, you know, it'd just be better if I just compromise my faith and just do what everybody else is doing. 
because it's going to make my life easier. And so we get to this place where too many of us refuse to move forward in the Lord into what God has to give to us and the things that He's calling us to do because we get scared and we lose sight of it. And then we go to that thing like what the Israelites did with the land. We, we take our eyes off the goodness of the kingdom of God, off the fullness of life that Jesus has promised to us, and we just settle for lesser options. You know, we, we settle for the American dream of the, the nice house, the two cars, you know, and the ride-on mower, the boat, and the truck, if you're, if you're a country person. Or we settle for comfort or our favorite sin, whatever that may be. You know, the Israelites, their favorite sin were the idols. I don't know what yours is. Or they settle for, you know, the respect of their neighbors or the associates that they work with, and so the list goes on. We settle for things, thinking that's going to make our life greater, and then we just trade that stuff for the, for the life that God has for us. We lose sight of all that God has called us to be. Whatever desire it may be that God asks us to surrender to him, and we just kind of want to hold on to that thing. So, Lord, I want to hold on to this. It makes me happy. I, I don't want to be all in for you. Because it just seems too difficult at times. But we need to resist those things as followers of Jesus. We, we need to be the type of people where we regularly ask God to expose us to ourselves. Do you ever do that? Now, Lord, what is it in me that's, that offends you? Maybe you're not ready to say that prayer, okay? Because that's a big prayer. Maybe something like, Lord, what would you like to talk to me about today? And then just sit in a, a moment of silence and solitude and see what pops into your mind. You know, that's also a scary prayer because sometimes things pop into your mind. Michelle was sharing a little bit about that before worship this morning. She was asking God for one thing, but she, she made the mistake. It's not a mistake. It's a good thing to do. She made the mistake of just sitting there and pondering, well, what, what would you say to me, Lord? And then God started to bring things to mind. Things that were harder than what she wanted. God has a track record of doing that, by the way. So, you know, be warned. But it always generates life if you're willing to press into those things. We need to say those prayers. We need to say those prayers with the realization that Jesus' prize for us is worth the risk and worth the sacrifice that we need to make to get, it, get into that. It's always worth it. Even though in the short term, it seems really hard. It's always worth it in the long term. Caleb understood that. And that's why we need to learn to endure a little bit more like Caleb did. Firstly, we need to give ourselves wholeheartedly to the Lord. That's, that's the big challenge, isn't it? This is one of the things that set Caleb apart from all the other Israelites. He was all in, you know. He had got into a place where he had determined within himself that he would trust in God's ability to make anything happen. And he would trust in God's goodwill and favor towards him as he went about God's business. Those are two very difficult things to get right. Do you have those things established in your heart and in your faith walk today? Are you all in, and do you trust in God's goodwill and favor towards you? Ask yourself that question. You might be surprised by the answer. Do you know in your knower 
full strata national director says that all the time, so I steal it from him, I like it. Do you know in your knower, and you know what I'm talking about, that God can do whatever he's going to, whatever needs to happen to get you where you need to be, and that he is for you and not against you? Do you know that inside? Or do you have a sneaking suspicion that he's waiting around the next corner to smoke you, to judge you, to get you down on the ground and say, I told you so, whatever that is. You know, often your experiences in life will cause you to project certain things like that onto God the Father. Do you know that he wants to walk through the rough with you and then even sometimes bless you with the smooth times in life? You know, because he does both. We believe the kingdom of God is here and he does amazing things. He heals people. He heals us. He delivers us. But sometimes he does it slow and he walks through hardship with us. You know, we never know which one we're going to get. And, you know, it's hard to get to that place. Let's be honest. I'm not fully there myself and I'm pretty sure none of you are. But I've decided that I will choose to believe those things even if I don't feel it sometimes. A little bit like that first song we sang today. And so I consistently ask God to keep my eyes open to his truth, to keep helping me to see who he is and to see what he can do for me. And I keep asking, God, will you just keep revealing yourself to me? Show me that you're for me. Show me that you're with me. Show me that you're going to go with me always. And I invite you to do the same. Consistently ask God to do that. Lord, will you help me get a, a concept of your goodness and your love for me? Will you help me to have faith that you can do amazing things to get me to the end of this journey, this faith walk that I'm on? You know, regularly remember who God is. This is a little good tip for you. Remember what he has done and what he can do. And the best way to do that is to keep a record of all the good things God has done in your life. You know, answered prayers, times of rescue that you've had in your life, times of provision that you've had in your life, impactful words of knowledge that you've and prophecies that you've received from other people, you know, healings, times that you've been healed, and so on. You remember those things. And, and if you have no record of them, I encourage you, get a little book and write them down. Because, you know, some of you in this room have been miraculously healed from things. Physical ailments, maybe you've been healed from emotional assets, but I know some of you have been healed from miraculous things. And even though you've had a, a, a healing that a doctor couldn't explain, you will have days where you're like, is God even there? Is God even real? You will have those days. Why? Because you're a human being and you're completely fallible. I'm like, oh man, I'm just like, I'm following, I'm, I'm following something invisible, nothing. What is, I'm crazy. Is God even there? And on those days, that's when you want to rip that little book open. And page two, oh, you know, 12th November, 2015, I got healed of this thing. That was a bona fide praise Jesus miracle that happened in my life. And as you read through, through those things, your, your faith will be built up and you'll, God will be there for you. He'll give you that little bit that you need to get through that day. That little bit that you need to take the next step. Because often that's what God does for us. I know we don't like it. We want him to do more. But often he just gives us what we need to take the next step. And then once we've done that, he gives us what we need to take the next step. Often we want him to give it to us all in one go. I know, I'm like that. We have to remember what he has done because that helps us to believe that he can do something 
in the future, especially when we're faced with things that just seem way bigger than God and what he can handle. One of my favorite quotes is a conversation uh, our treasurer Bob had with the lawyer one day. Uh, when we were getting my visa to come over here to be part of this church, the process was supposed to take about 18 months to two years, right? Because the church had to get a 501c3. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. Um, but that was supposed to take about tw- 12 to 18 months. And then the visa was supposed to take about 12 months, somewhere in there, five, you know, six to 12 months. And so the, the church wanted me here in six months, all in, all of that stuff, right? So they, we got a lawyer involved in and uh, Bob said to the lawyer, you know, how long is it going to take us? It's going to take this long. And Bob's like, well, we're just going to pray that that happens quicker. And his comment was this. He says, you know, with all due respect, I don't think God has had to deal with the State Department before. <laughs> I'm so glad he said that. And while you had that conversation with him in the December, somewhere around there, we were here in the July. Everything happened in six months, Right? I just had to wait to get on the plane. It was that, I mean, we get in touch with that lawyer. He still talks about that because he's never seen it since, you know. It was just a, so I wrote wrote that down. I think God did want me here, you know, because there's been some rough days, you know. I need to rip that book out and say, no, God wants me here. It's okay, let's keep going. We have to learn to keep our eyes on the prize as well of knowing and living in this partly revealed kingdom of God that Jesus has brought us where he invites us to participate with him in in the healing of creation, in the healing of people, and where we can personally know healing, where we can be forgiven of all the wrong things that we've done, where we can be reconciled to God and begin to realize and know the love he has for us, where we can be restored to our original created purpose and live it out right now on this earth in anticipation of its full revelation when Jesus returns a second time. Most of you have heard the gospel, but you've only heard half the gospel most of the time you've been preached. God loves you and wants to forgive you for your sin. Jesus died on the cross so you could be forgiven. That's half the gospel, by the way. The church chooses not to go on to the next bit. And the reason why he's done that is so he can restore you into being what you were originally created to be, a person who is in the family of God, a person who represents God here on earth. You are an image bearer. You are made to be a reflection of God's love, goodness, and glory to all creation, not just people, right? That's the gospel. That's what God invites you into. And in order for you to be that, you need to be forgiven for your sins and restored into a relationship with God. Most people just stop at that bit and never bother with the rest. And that's why their faith gets shallow and hollow and they wonder, what's it all about? Because they're not living into the kingdom that God has brought into this earth. They're not advancing that kingdom, being the image bearers that God called them to be. Their lives have no risk and adventure about them because they don't see themselves as a vessel of God's goodness to anybody at any given time. Even to a dog, you know. I don't know how that looks like. You can figure that out when you go home. We have to keep our eyes on that prize. I am created to be an image bearer of God Almighty. Not just when Jesus comes back and gives me my lovely new six foot two body with flowing locks, right? Or maybe it'll be five foot six. I don't know what the new bodies are going to look like. But, you know, not then, but even now, in my fallen state, in my not perfect state, God's inviting me to do that right now. And 
you know, in the way I do my work, in the way I, I treat my wife and my kids, which should always improve, you know, and, and so on. Keep our eyes on that prize. You know, are you someone that's far from God today? Is that prize even a revelation to you? Have you never heard that before? Well, the good news of the gospel is, is that you can start on that journey today because God takes anybody, right? I quite like that. God will take anybody. Oh, but Billy, you don't understand. I've done this and this. No, no, he'll take you. He'll take, he'll take anybody. He wants you to be in his team. He wants you to be in his family. He wants you to be his image bearer to the world. He wants to forgive you for all the wrong things you've done. He wants to cleanse you and make you holy. He wants to look at you like you're as pure and holy as Jesus. That's his desire for you. He wants to see you live out your created purpose. He wants to see you fly. He wants to see you to be the best you can be. That's God's heart and his love for you. And he'll spend, his, he'll spend your whole life getting you there. That's what he wants for you. He wants to be with you in the roughest part of your lives and in the best part of your life. All you need to do is surrender to his lordship today. All you need to do is choose to be wholly in. And you'll never be completely in, right? You'll have like 15 minutes one day, you're like, I'm all in, I'm all in. And then something will happen, you're like, oh, I'm rubbish, right? I don't know, I have these experiences all the time, right? But, but he knows your heart. And if you say, Lord, I want to be all in, help me to be all in. He'll, bring, he'll take you, he'll take you. And I encourage you to make that decision today. We're going to stand in a minute. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus and you know you need to make that decision again today, we'll do that in ministry time. If you're not following Jesus and you want to make that choice today, I encourage you to come down and speak to one of us. Our prayer team on the rug will come talk to me and we'll help you start that journey today. You won't regret it. But that's how we keep going. You know, we, we remember who he is. We remember what he can do. We remember how he feels about us, and we remember where he's taking us to. We keep a focus on all those things, and that'll help us to endure. It'll help us to have the longevity of people like Caleb and my grandfather-in-law, William Willie. Let's stand. Michelle, you want to come on down? Bring the worship team.